It's Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Duty Calls, a Sciathus Kane story by Sandy Mitchell, and Mick read Mind Hacking by Sir John Hargrave. It's Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. That's the intro again. I, this is the second time we've tried this, and I screwed it up Welcome all the time. Welcome to Bibliovile. My name is Mick Dickens, and I am screaming into that microphone because it's been a long time, been a long, long, lonely, lonely, lonely time. My microphone literally has dust on it. Uh, we are back after a while. It turns out having a child is uh, a bigger deal than anybody told us. I we didn't we didn't think about that, so we took a little break. But we are back. And I'm Susan Dickinson, your other co-host. I don't think did I even say my name? Yeah, you did. Oh, you didn't let me say my name. It's fine. It's like that time at our wedding when you had the microphone and you thanked everybody and gave a little speech, and then I was holding my hand out for the microphone and you didn't give it to me. Oh, I gave it to you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I'm a yeah, terrible we, person. We all know much how much oh, I hate women. Yeah, especially so, me. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe your book, or at least the genre of book that you read for this episode, might be able to help you with that. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And the genre of book that you read might be able to give us something to talk about. Uh, and then we can discuss all the deep-seated stuff that comes with your book. Because we've got this... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. You I, go I ahead. apparently talk too much. So, <laughs> um, I was just going to say, we have a little bit of a shakeup for the podcast. Mm. We've been doing basically continuous episodes with some random breaks thrown in for... 10 years. Quite a while. Seven I don't years. think it's been quite 10, but I think it has been eight years. In 2015. Yeah. yeah. So it's been a bit. Um, we decided now that we have... Uh, a one-year-old. That's mm-hmm. something new. Squeaks. Um, and full-time jobs and all of the things. That's we decided not new, but... that it might be time to switch the pod to a different format. We are we are going seasons here yeah. on Bibliobile, and we've got a pretty good season lined up for you. Yeah, we we don't know how long these are going to last because uh, this is our first time doing it as well. We were thinking. Single digits, maybe low doubles, yeah. uh, and then taking a little break, uh, but ha- coming with a sort of uh, vibe or, or loosey-goosey theme to the seasons, uh, we should probably shout out our inspiration for, for doing this in a timely manner, or in a way that makes sense for grown I adults mean, who don't make money off their podcast. Huge shout out to Tony and, Tony and Nadia. Oh. <laughs> I was talking about the true crimes series, Serial. Oh, no. I'm talking about the world's most famous podcast. Probably should have known better. Oh, are they? Is a this true a, inspiration. Is this back relative, recently? Yes. Oh, this is probably dating the show because we're planning on banking a couple and we have to read the books in between. So yeah. it was back and it was probably run in season by now, given yeah, how probably. long it takes me to read a book if I finish it. Yeah, I was going to say that that is assuming that you're going to finish all your books. All right. Book. I just don't like fiction. Um, but really. with, yeah, you don't really like fiction. That's true. But that's okay because one of the genres that we're going to be working with this, I almost said this semester, God, we both work in education. Um, one of the genres we're going to be working with this season is self-help books. Yeah, it should be uh, pretty interesting because self-help books are the worst. Yeah, they're all awful. And I picked Mix out specifically with the knowledge that it was written to annoy him. Oh, it worked. 
And I was in, I I decided that I wanted to do a self-help book. So I went to the self-help section of like the nonfiction floor at the library. And I was looking around and I found a couple that I thought might be good contenders. Um, And then I saw Mind Hacking. How to Change Your Mind for Good in 21 Days and really decided that that was just mm-hmm. chef's kiss designed to irritate my husband. And so I got oh, it for you. It's very, very good. You know, it's not chef's kiss designed to irritate me. Apparently, hmm. tiny little models of guys. Yeah, because, because the other genre that we're going to be working with this semester, as it were, is established continuity, or as I've been calling them, lore books. And what I decided that I would get Susan invested in the lore of, because I've been trapped in the, the Venus flytrap, the, uh, uh, oh, what's something that's enticing, but then it gets you. The honeypot. The honeypot of uh, Warhammer 40,000 lore uh, thanks to being exposed to it through several different meme sources and everything. And then I was like, what if I just sort of bought a couple of these little guys? And now uh, now I'm into it. Susan is currently it. recording over top of some little guys. They're very cute little guys. Yeah. Um, no, they're badass. These are chaos marines. They're I wo- named they're wo- one of them. I named a little guy. His name is Gaunt Chrome Body. Well, yeah, but that was a Necron. He's over here. He looks great, though. You yeah. did a real nice job, oh, and also yeah. the name Gaunt Chrome Body is a great name for a little Necron space alien robot situation. Yeah, it's an undying robot that had the consciousness of a a classic, uh, yeah, there he is, a classic uh, uh, Egyptian-styled monarchy implanted in his brain, and now he has no will. He's so. cute. No, he's really scary. So Mick's getting really into Warhammer. We decided as parents of a young child, it is important to <laughs> get have very hobbies. tiny, non-playable choking yeah. hazards strewn about your home at all times. <laughs> um, no, we've decided that it's important to have hobbies and apparently having a podcast is not enough of a hobby. Yeah, because reading isn't a hobby of mine. <laughs> We decided to base um, our podcast every on reading. Every year, my goal for New Year's is to read less, and every year I fail at it. Although this year I have, I am going to finish fewer books in 2022 than I did in 2021. So what that's are you, What are you estimating? Um, right now I'm at 110. Last year I was at 151. What changed? Uh, what changed about your life that got you to read only 110 books? Well, here's the thing. The thing that prevented me from reading 151 books is that I had a baby, but also the fact that I had that baby is what enabled me to read 110 books because in the last year of our baby's life, I've spent basically an entire month's worth of time hooked up oh, to yeah. breast pump. I forgot about so. that. I was going to say maternity leave. <laughs> no, just pumping. Uh, just you got to have something to do. I see. <laughs> So anyway, uh, yeah, the two genres we're going to be flip-flopping back and forth are lore, as mm-hmm. Mick described it, and self-help books. It's going to be a journey, friends. Well, yeah, we're going to get deep, and then we're going to get deep of a different sort, and then we're going to get deep into uh, literary depression about it. But uh, We actually, I don't think, talked about Normally, we decide ahead of time who's going first. I think I, I'm going You're going to go first. Okay, great. Looks okay. like Mick decided ahead of time. I also talked to you about it. Oh. But I wasn't going to say anything. Um, Mind Hacking is a book about how to change your mind for good in 21 days by 
And I'm ta- I'm just saying what's on the book. Sir John Hargrave. In no way. He's a knight. In no way was it ever implied that he is anything but an American guy who has grown up and lived his entire life in America. And Americans can't be the recipient of nobility. So I think this is just a wacky little thing that he puts on his name. Isn't that so silly? Maybe his legal first name is Sir. Uh, no. I doubt it. Because this guy was the writer of a humor website. Very funny. And the book opens oh. with, well, he, would you believe it? Uh, he, is, he is addicted to several things. Uh, and it opens with the Secret Service knocking on his door. Oh, uh, shit. Because one of the pranks that his website would put on is that they would get a credit card in a celebrity's name. I don't really see the prank Sounds or the humor. like just fraud. Yeah. And so uh, the one he chose to get was Barack Obama. Yeah, that just sounds like fraud. Yeah. Um, and, a, and not a very good plan. Especially, yeah. Or particularly funny. Yeah, I don't get where... I don't, like, I don't mean to sound like the teacher who's looking down like, I don't see the humor in this. But I like legitimately do not see why, hey, everybody, look, I have a credit card, would be a thing to write about. I don't know. So the Secret Service comes around, and he refuses to give him the card. And one funny thing that was legitimately funny is he goes, I can't give it to you. And they're like, why not? And he says, because they're technically the credit card company's uh, property, which is legally true. And so that was kind of interesting. But uh, he's in a bad spot, this man who is currently being talked to by the Secret Service, uh, because, and I, I'm going to do a lot of quotes at the beginning, and then I'm going to get more general because I stopped reading every uh, word of it. I started skimming some heavily stuff. Um, that night was one of the worst of my life. My wife was furious that I had just handed over the credit card, blah, blah, blah. If they come back, she said, you know what they'll find. I had grown increasingly dependent on marijuana, relying it as the source of my creativity and inspiration, even as it led me to take wilder and wilder risks. Sounds like the weed smokers I know. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that weed necessarily leads to people taking wild risks. Except dietary risks. Like, I'm going to bake one big cookie (laughs) instead of separating them out into chunks. I don't know, discreet cookies. That's the kind of risk. Three tombstone pizzas in an hour. I'm going to take a, a whole thing of Ready Whip and fill a bowl with it, then put some marshmallows in it and eat that. That sounds like it would be good. <laughs> I did do that once. Not when I was high, but when I was a teenager, and I regretted it. Uh, now that I had a young family, the Secret Service was on my doorstep, and I wanted to hold on to the weed even more than the credit card. I can't get rid of that, I said. You don't know what you're asking. You have to get rid of it, she insisted. Either the drugs go, or I do. And it's like, hey, you also were an alcoholic in this story. I would rely more on the alcoholism for, yeah. for uh, uh, narrative stakes and less on the weed. Yeah. Like... The, I, I just I don't mean to buy into like the people who smoke weed incessantly are like you can't get addicted to it. It's like you can though. Or like maybe not physically, but like you can. But the most addicted to weed I've ever seen a person is not even close to like the even just like functioning. That alcoholism <laughs> can, yeah, can cause for <laughs> it's you. It's really bad. Uh, so there's that. Uh, so he tells stories about being a uh, programmer when he was a kid. Uh, or like getting into programming. And so now he was going to uh, use that skill to uh, figure out how to overcome his weed addiction. Uh, and I apparently He's wrote it. He's going to hack his brain. 
Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a quote here. I got back in the car. I got back in the car and drove around town for a while, trying to summon the courage. Think of all the good times we've had with this drug, my mind told me. Think about all the crazy, hilarious ideas it's given us. Think of facing life all alone without its warm, comforting haze. It's like, I understand that addiction, once again, is a difficult thing to throw, but, like, you're doing this about the weed and not the liquor in your trunk? Like, yeah. it just doesn't... It doesn't really no. track. I'm I'm not like rude. I'm not uh, scared for you. If it's like I really like smoking weed, I'm like, all right, sweet, good for you. I guess uh, it's becoming easier and more legal all the time. Uh, <laughs> so he's gonna start talking about how there's a mental brain or like there's a mental world that is beyond the physical that our our brains we're actually in control of it and not that it's in control of us or whatnot mm -hmm. so listen to this paragraph for the first time in history we humans live in two worlds the physical world of objects and the digital world of websites apps and video games we may still call the physical world the real world but that's just a figure of speech the digital world is no less real than our physical world just different it is mm. but also similarly our mental world is no less real than hey bud you said for the first time in history, we have two worlds. Yeah. And in the very next paragraph, you introduce a third world. Yeah. That has always coexisted with humanity. Through the physical. Yeah. So apparently he was a humor writer uh, and not a humor editor for quite some time. It, it is not a funny book uh, at, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, that is for sure. So uh, I've got some more quotes to share, but basically I should get to the general uh, vibe of this book. You know how uh, Silicon Valley idiots invent stuff that already exists? Like, yeah, what like if we trains. had a, yeah, what if we had like a ride sharing where it would have preordained stops and so you didn't have to call the thing. It's like, dude, you just invented the bus. Yeah, congratulations. Like, what it's if existed we, for many a yeah. year now. What if we invented like all you need to clean your clothes is capital, but people don't have access to that capital. So what if we let rent people rent that capital? It's like, that's a laundromat, dude. Yeah. We've already invented that. You, you just want to pay for it with Venmo instead of quarters or whatever. This guy, uh, you wouldn't believe it. Silicon Valley is going to rethink the whole shape of thing. He's mm. going to do all this programming and go, it's just uh, CBT. It's just, yeah. it's just therapy. And it's just, hey, try to remind your brain that you get to control what it thinks and that it doesn't control you. And it's like 160 pages of the worst programming analogies for what if you went to therapy? And it's like, you should probably go to therapy instead. Like he, Yeah, but Nick, it's all about hacking oh, your brain. Oh, yeah. It's, it's cooler and more alpha and more digital because you don't meditate. You play the attention game oh, where you, you, play a, you pay attention to your breathing or some other thing as you're focusing. That is so irritating. You don't examine your, you know, thought process and and sort of uh, like the way you think thoughts often. Yeah. You hack your loops because programming works on loops. Can you reprogram your loops? It's like, guys, all of I this have not, already exists. All of this already exists, and it exists in a much more honest and straightforward way than having to explain. One time, a person found a moth in a computer, and that was the world's uh, first literal computer bug. Uh, although I did learn something. I thought that's where the term bug came from. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it was just everybody laughed because it's like, it's a bug. Uh, so that means that sometimes problems do happen inside your brain. But since you don't have bugs in your brain, you can rewrite it. And it's fucking st stupid. Uh, so more quotes. Uh, I do love the idea that like tech bros will go to 
any length to just not go yeah. to therapy. Men will write a whole book about mind hacking instead of just going to therapy. <laughs> Especially tech bros. Uh, I wrote down a quote, but then didn't... Oh, I, I wrote down the whole quote. Uh, he said that historians will agree that the digital revolution made the Renaissance look like a picnic lunch. Okay. And to that I say, what fucking metaphor is picnic lunch? Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. A period of time is looking like a picnic lunch? Like yeah. everybody was having good, sweet, nice time with ants? I don't really get it. Yeah. Uh, he's also fucking wrong because the digital revolution, though changing the way we communicate entirely, uh, has nothing on the goddamn printing press and the, oh, yeah. the establishment of capital in general, whereas the digital uh, revolution has only confirmed capital's ability to control us in ways that we never could have imagined. Uh, see uh, monitoring apps at work. Yes. Uh, so very stupid uh, metaphor, and he's wrong to boot. Uh, so today, wouldn't you believe it, a similar revolution is happening. Uh, all in the minds of people around. Uh, Today, a similar revolution is beginning, one that takes place not on keyboards and screens, but entirely in your mind. Like the digital revolution, which couldn't be seen, but was profound in impact. No revolution can ever be seen, you fucking idiot. Like the industrial revolution. Hey, look at that. Uh, This revolution is a silent meteorite hurtling towards Earth, a massive shift in human thinking. Just as early hackers overturned the world of technology, mind hackers are overturning the world of thought. You're, oh, you're saying that okay. people going to therapy and realizing, hey, wait a minute, I can, like, I'll feel feelings, but then I'll correct for mm-hmm. them through practice and hard work, is rewriting the way we think about thinking. And, but it's At happening. least you don't have Silicon Valley delusions of grandeur. But it's not happening, or, but it's happening now, Nick. This is a brand new mm. thing that has never happened before. This is not, you know, yeah. like a and strategy that therapists have been using for quite a while. Yeah. This is new. This is new and it's happening now and is therefore more important. Yeah, exactly. Anything I'm living through has to be more important than anything else that ever happened. All right. When we think of great explorers like Columbus. Oh, good. Vespucci. Great start. Columbus, Vespucci, and Cousteau. Vespucci, by the way, was not an explorer. He was a fucking cartographer. Yeah. Idiot. Uh, We hold them up as courageous heroes who conquered the globe. Do we now? Yeah. Is that what... A lot of folks in the year of our Lord 2022 think about. <laughs> and you might Sir say, well, what, when, was this, when was this published? Because this sounds a little. No, you know, it's got to be since 2016. Anything that is published about digital stuff is uh, always ages way too fast. Yeah. But like it is it was published in 2016. Okay. I was, for some reason, this feels very 2016. Because it's awful. Uh, Anything that came out of that year, not good. You um, know, our marriage. (laughs) I think that was pretty good. Um, He talks about the movie The Matrix and then says, I hope that's... uh, He does this thing where several times he describes a movie that is very famous like Mm -hmm. The Matrix or Inception and then goes on like a beat-by-beat plot summary of the majority of the movie. The the even better part would be if he got it wrong. Uh, Well, funny you say that. Because as most people kind of realize, The Matrix is hilariously philosophical uh, and, and kind of, I don't know, I think the first one's pretty dang good. And then it just has stupid kung fu fights mm. in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, but most people realize that it's a, te- it's a like high tech makeup of Plato's, ca- the allegory of the cave, mm-hmm. right? Where people watch the shadows on the cave wall and they think that's the real world. And then they're let out of the cave to see the real world and they, they come back and they can't describe it to the person who's yeah. one and they don't believe him. This guy... <clears throat> said the premise behind plato's cave the premise behind plato's cave 
which is not what it's called, but I don't think he ever wrote Cave 2, The Redemption, good one, was that most of us take physical reality at face value, but underneath there is another world, a world of ideas. The ideas, in fact, are the true reality. They are, in a sense, more real than what we call reality. It's like, that. I don't think that's, that's what that's, that's about. That's not, I don't think that was really the, yeah. I don't think that was really it. Yeah, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Okay. What is it about the Matrix, though? Because I feel like, Oftentimes, if People someone tries to like make an allegory of the Matrix, they do it wrong. Mm. Such that the directors have to tell them to shut the hell up. Yeah, it's weird, huh? It's weird, huh? Uh, because they look cool. Do you know what's funny about the Matrix? And I think I brought this up on this podcast before, but I'm going to go ahead and do it again anyway. Go is that it. the soundtrack fucking slaps. But if somebody walked up to me in the parking lot and I was listening to Propeller Heads while, or the soundtrack while waiting for you at like Casey's or whatever, and they're like, are you listening to that song from the Matrix? I would melt into a puddle of goo in embarrassment. <laughs> I will never stop liking the songs from the Matrix. But if you ever like came up and Why? were like... Because it's the songs, like, imagine somebody dressed like the Matrix. Oh, yeah. It's it's almost as bad, or it's it's worse than, uh, like, Austin Powers, I feel like. Anyway. I don't know if that's true. Austin Powers is pretty bad. Yeah, maybe. Um, in addition to the Columbus shout-out, there's a lot of Steve Jobs worship, as you okay. can imagine. Anything that's even vaguely tech-related. Also, basically any self-help book that has come out past 2010 mm -hmm. is just all Steve Jobs. It's uh, so irritating. Just like the the previous one of uh, the three worlds, uh, this two, the Steve Jobs parts are hilariously conflicting because one of them is like, Steve Jobs always knew exactly what he wanted, and so he always got it. He may not have been the one programming or building or even designing or inventing or doing any of the fucking thinking about how to make an iPhone work. He said, give me an iPhone, and they did. And so he's famous for it, and I will ever fucking hate him for it. But he's awesome because he always had that clarity of purpose, and he never deviated. That's so great. And then later in another chapter, it's like people had to learn how to uh, uh, deal with his like completely unrealistic requests. Like there, there would be no other bathrooms except for the one in the atrium so that everybody would have to meet. And I'm like, yeah, because he's fucking stupid and won't let go of a dumb idea. Like the fact yeah. that juice is going to help you cure cancer and then you're going to die despite being one of the richest men in all the world. Uh, so I also think, too, that like, you know, this is this has long been one of your biggest criticisms of memoirs is that when a person sits down to write a memoir or is like telling their story to a biographer, mm -hmm. they're looking back and they're like picking and choosing so that they can sort of create themes Establish or a decide theme, yeah. what the themes are going to be and then pick stories to fill that. And I think that has absolutely happened with like the lore of Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, like any of the, the famous tech bros that always get brought up in all of the, not even tech bros, yeah. but like business guys that mm -hmm. get brought up in all of these like self-help Kind of yeah, books. he dropped out of Harvard because, or, and still succeeded after getting thousands and thousands of yeah. dollars in seed money from his parents. So it's like we're far <clears throat> enough removed from like their establishing their success that we can sort of like decide what we want the story to be and find things throughout this person's life that fit that story. And so it like I don't know that. As Steve Jobs was living his pre-Steve Jobs life, that 
anyone who knew him would have really described him as having a singular purpose. Like, yeah. He was just kind of an asshole figuring stuff out. Yeah, and he didn't wear a belt with his jeans, which always made me mad. You uh, wear a belt with your jeans? I don't own a belt, so I don't really understand belts. You should always have a belt. Basically, if you're not wearing sweatpants, you should always have a belt because that creates a... If you're going to tuck your shirt in or if you're going to... You should just have a belt. I think that's for men. I don't own a belt. I haven't owned last, a belt since I was in like mm, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Last I checked, Steve Jobs is a man. Uh, and so I was talking about his lack of a belt, not yours. Oh, okay. Jeez. Sorry. I'm, I wish you were a singer so I could say, but you can really belt it. Ha ha. Ha ha. Uh, but it gets worse. In addition to the Steve Jobs uh, worship, any older uh, uh, inventor you think he might shout out? Einstein. He does shout out Einstein. Einstein's not an inventor. Well, uh, the thing he shouts out Einstein for is writing his ideas down. Revolutionary. Hmm. Even about uh, Einstein's most famous in the like 1920s and 30s. So before that. Ooh, Henry Ford. No. Oh. <laughs> that would have been pretty funny. He's always Henry Ford. Uh, Thomas Edison. Oh, okay. Thomas Edison is uh, just kind of like perfect. Mwah. There should be a through line of these guys that goes like Thomas Edison. There needs to be somebody in between. It's not Henry Ford. Because uh, Henry Ford's not known as an inventor. He's known as an organizer and a capitalist. Uh, to Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. And now to Mr. Uh, Twitter himself, Elon Musk. Of the men who hire people to invent things and then are called inventors. Yeah. Uh, because Thomas Edison very rarely himself invented anything. He said, what if there was a better light bulb? And then threw some money at some people to go invent it and then came out to everybody else and say, I invented this better light bulb. And then he shocked an elephant to death. And then Steve Jobs was like, hey, someone build me an iPhone. Yeah. And then uh, it also mentions Tesla as being like the real inventor guy and how I, uh, uh, Edison sucks. And it's like, yeah, but earlier, a couple chapters ago, you said Edison was like the best example of this there ever was. And whatever. I find it really interesting that a book that's only 160 pages long so clearly did not go through a very robust editing process. Well, it's because it's clarity of purpose. Uh, <laughs> and then there's one more individual that gets dropped. And I could have you guess for a million years. And I don't think you'd ever hit upon this person because I would be surprised to see your face when I drop the name. The last person that I want to talk about that this person, this guy uses as an example of uh, great mind hacking mm-hmm. is Scott Adams, the cartoonist of Dilbert. And I am hoping that some people are currently screeching in their car, or like not screeching the brakes, but like currently yelling in their cars because this is a bomb dropped on anybody who is as terminally online as I am. He's got some uh, bad politics. He's got some bad politics and also some weird fucking personal habits because uh, it does drop uh, in Scott Adams as being a guy who like thought so hard about something that... His brain started pa- talking back to him, and he's basically doing the secret. Uh, it manages to get the secret techie techified mm-hmm. in here. Uh, he's doing the secret, and he's like demanding things of his life, and he begins to see it happening or something like that. And my feelings on the secret are well established. Um, but <laughs> Scott Adams of Dilbert fame not only has bad politics, uh, but also as of late has begun uh, attempting to make a side hustle out of erotic hypnosis. <laughs> Oh, I don't like this. And so he's he's really putting those mind skills to use to get everybody else to envision the future that he envisions as well. Uh, so it's it's all it's uh, you know all stars and stripes welcome in his erotic hypnosis. He doesn't he doesn't mind whatever and whoever uh, you are. He's he's here to help you uh, 
get one off. But I don't like that. He's also very, it's a dominant uh, erotic hypnosis. I really don't like that. So I'm going to change the subject. Isn't it interesting that all of the people that this author finds really inspirational and is going to base his entire philosophy off of are white dudes? Yeah, white dudes that do erotic hypnosis. I want to bring it back to Scott Adams. Do you think that when he was first designing uh, the Dilbert cartoons and when he had to make that weird shift from like the 90s Thai culture to like the 2010s lanyard culture, uh, do you think that he uh, hypnotized himself? I can't think of where to go about it. I just want to make you uncomfortable. Yes, they're all white men. They're also all capitalists. Yeah. Uh, nothing is said about Jonas Salk, the polio vaccinator. Uh, or anything like that, because he didn't think to mind hack his way into profits, the fucking idiot. Ugh, uh, what an idiot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was just cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, of which I am familiar. I have not been to therapy. I'm a man, so I would do, uh, I would literally buy hundreds of dollars worth of miniatures and paint them rather than going to therapy. Oh, self-burn <laughs> for Dickinson. Got me good. Hey, it's very meditate. Oh, I'm sorry. It's very attention gaming. Intention gaming. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll... Important. I'll listen to ASMR and paint some miniatures. Hey, Mick. Hey, Sue. Speaking of miniatures, what? My wiener. <laughs> Sorry, Scott Adams made me do it. He implanted a, a thing in my brain. What's Warhammer? Oh, I'm glad. I'm happy you asked. There's two flavors. Thanks for of finally letting me ask the question. <laughs> there's two. Uh, there's two flavors of Warhammer. There's the fantasy, which is just called Warhammer, which is your typical like Lord of the Rings and everything like that. And then there's Warhammer Forty Thousand, which is uh, takes place in the forty first millennium. It's the year forty thousand, uh, and it's about a space empire where everybody fucking sucks and is evil and it's the worst and life is terrible and nothing will ever be good again. And I'm choosing to view it as professional wrestling type stuff that, like, it's very stupid and it's awesome. And if I ever meet anybody who thinks it's actually, like, cool, like, no, this is, like, badass, then I would not know what to do with myself or them. Because the second you actually start to believe that the little spiky uh, guys are anything but, like, they're cool looking aesthetically and it's a fun thing to do. But the second you're like, dude, I I wish I was a fucking space marine. I'm going to throw you in the trash. (laughs) And like, so it's very stupid and there's all sorts of different little guys you can want and little armies. They're really bad. Um, but I've chosen the Astro Militarum, which is important because it's the Imperial guard, which you wrote, read a book about. Mm -hmm. And my thing about why I picked them is that they're just normal fucking dudes fighting a space war that even the people on their side are like genetically enhanced super soldiers with power armor and chain swords and big, huge plasma guns. And these guys are like, I don't know, wearing the equivalent of like a a North Face vest, uh, North Face vest into war and uh, are carrying like a little pew, 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 pew. They're going to flashlight them to death or whatever, like Buzz Lightyear, blink them to death. Uh, but they still do it because they have to. Uh, but there's also gods of chaos, like the god of chaos of war. So that's Korn. He's a K-H-O-R-N. Oh, K-O-R-N, just like the, the band. Yeah, that'd be very funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So then there's the oh, if there's the god the chaos god corn, then his like uh, his chapter would be freaks on a leash. I bet twisted transistors because because my these red boys are the evil versions of space marines, and they're the word bearers, which they used to be like. So there's an emperor of man. Uh, he's not the god emperor of man. He's been dead for several thousand years, but they won't admit it because it would make the whole thing fall apart. But his consciousness is being kept alive in a sort of quasi magical internet, uh, and there it's in the dark ages of technology. So instead of knowing how to fix anything, they literally just pray over it and sometimes it works so like it's the mix between spaceships and incense uh which is very fun and then there's uh, uh there's also orcs who have this weird supernatural ability where the fact that they believe in something makes it more likely to become true it's really the secret uh so like they they put a bunch of shit on tires and they're like there it's a car we can drive it now and they can even the fact that it like has no engine or whatever and they paint everything red because red things go faster they think and so they do they go faster uh and so they just live to fight everybody it's very funny it's a good time. So I didn't know any of this and was still, um, at the time that I began this book, pretty shaky on what Warhammer was. Like, just yeah. hadn't quite gotten there it's yet. very stupid and everything sucks. Um, and then I started reading Duty Calls, a Syathus <laughs> Kane novel by Sandy Mitchell. And um, that first part of what you said about the guys who were fighting all of these like genetically enhanced enemies and they just have their little pew 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 guns mm-hmm. this is basically the book. Like yeah. that is a summary of the book that you have gotten me. I don't really need to go into much more detail than that, but I will read well, you fighting the gene stealers. I right? will read you some clips uh, because quotes. quotes because I got to tell you, even though I had no idea what on earth was happening are they fighting the tyranids they are fighting tyranids mm. and there's gene stealers mm. and there's a chaos cult oh, and no. there's some um like eco terrorists on mm. the planet that they're on which is called Pereramunda. i see so the the tyranids are very funny because they came out in the mid to late 80s when a certain uh action movie came out mm. terminator no that was why they invented the uh Skeleton guys. Alien? Alien. Ah, so they, alien. they're like, alien's popular. What if we invented an alien race? And then it's that. Uh, and the Gene Stealer cults are the one I almost played because I think the lore is the best where they get a little bug implanted in them and they don't know it and that brainwashes them to try and overthrow the, the evil Imperium of Man. But really all they're doing is destabilizing it so that the aliens can come in and kill everybody. Yeah, that's exactly what happens in this book. Neat. Yeah. Um... So again, I didn't really have any idea what was happening. I did not know and really do not know any of the <laughs> lore or anything about the races and the people and the characters and whatever. But I got to tell you, if you just sort of like set that aside and kind of let it wash over you, which is a skill that I've gotten very good at with bibliophile books over the last almost <laughs> decade. Um in terms of war books, especially like futuristic space war books, this one is actually pretty funny. Nice. And I think your idea of like taking Warhammer as tongue in cheek and like not taking it seriously and just enjoying it a la professional wrestling mm-hmm. is kind of what the author of this book, like that's his take on Warhammer too. Nice. And he writes Warhammer books. Well, I would like you to, I would like to direct you towards the cover. Yeah. Where there's the subtitle or the tagline. What's it say? 
Um, firmly behind his men in the name of the emperor. <laughs> firmly behind his men. Firmly behind yeah. his men. And he's totally like standing in the pose of the little yeah, miniature the little guy. guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so th- as uh, the subtitle of the book um, explains, this is a Syphus Kane novel. So Syphus Kane is our main character. Mm-hmm. He's a commissar. He is a commissar. Um, he has this reputation um, of being this like excellent soldier and he does not want this reputation nor does he really deserve this reputation he just kind of lucks his way into things and now everyone thinks he's really good and he has no interest in doing any of these things at all and it's pretty funny mm-hmm. um, and so there's these little interstitials where most of the book is from Syphus Kane's point of view it's like him telling the story and then every once in a while there will be editorial notes from interesting places and tedious people a wanderer's waybook by Jerval Sakara <laughs> and so it's like after Syphus Kane has died someone is like writing his story and so there's interludes from the like official written version of his story cut in his. That's funny. And they're all super pretentious. And it's really <laughs> funny. So like I'm gonna read kind of a lot of this, but I'm going to like I want you to get an idea of what these interludes are like. Like many worlds with unusual characteristics, the early history of Pereira Munda is shrouded in conjecture and legend. One can be reasonably certain that it was originally discovered sometime around the middle of M24 by the explorator Acer Alba, only to be promptly forgotten again due to his untimely demise, probably in an affair of honor over the affections of a courtesan. Following the rediscovery of Alba's notes by Magos Provacer, a tireless challenger of the unknown whose unorthodox views frequently attracted the opprobrium of his peers, the planet was eventually colonized in the early years of the 27th millennium. So it's just like mm-hmm. very textbook, big words, kind of pretentious. And then it's cut in with Syphus Kane, who most of the time is very like, I have no no idea what I'm doing and I don't want to go out there and fight these people because I don't care and I I don't want to. Yeah. This sounds terrible. Um, but also he can be kind of pretentious a little bit too. Um, it's no exaggeration to say that I've seen some remarkable sights in my time from the spires of the Holy Terra itself to the Aurora of Fabulon. But the landscape of Pereira Mundo was in a class of its own. Beneath us, the last vestiges of rain evanesced into vapor. Rising again to form more clouds without ever reaching the sear and barren surface of the world below, where bare baking rock alternated with the oceans of drifting sand. So, like, he can be kind of pretentious sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get, like, his kind of actual voice. Um, basically, he gets sent to this world to help put down a rebellion attempt. Um, but there is a hive fleet of Tyranids that are on their way mm-hmm. um, to the, the world. Um, we find out later they're not on their way. They're already there. Oh, no. And then there's also some gene stealers. Um, so there's just... Oh, and there's a chaos cult, too. Mm-hmm. That sort you know of, which god it, the chaos god was for? Oh, um, no. I was hoping it'd be for Slanesh, because then we get some sucking and fucking. Um, what was the name of that one? Slanesh. I, I didn't hear that name at Damn. all, so I don't think it was that one. Uh, you got Corn. you got Slanesh, you got, oh, Zinch, TZ something something. And then you got Nurgle, the disease god. I don't know. Dang. Um, so let's see. Um, kind of like the tongue and cheekness of it comes out every once in a while. At one point, he is being um, interviewed about the terrorist attack, 
Have you any comment to make about this afternoon's terrorist attack on the starport approach road, someone shouted, and I smiled blandly for the picked recorders. Anyone who threatens the emperor's loyal subjects in any way is nothing less than a heretic in my book, I said, deciding to play the bluff soldier, which I knew the civilian sheep would lap up. I struck a heroic pose, one hand on the hilt of my chainsword. And so it's just funny imagining him like, this character is giving an interview and he like strikes the pose of his little miniature. <laughs> um, so there, like, there's some stuff like that that I actually felt like very tongue-in-cheek and kind of funny. Um, like I said, as the plot develops, they find out that the Tyranids aren't just on their way. They're already here. Oh, no. So he's like basically finding himself in a more and more complicated situation as time goes by. Yeah. Here's where I drop some jokes about like using the, the lingo of the tabletop game to make some jokes about the story that's happening. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I uh, don't know how to play the tabletop game yet. So Yeah, because now you're, you're just building your little guys. You got to build yeah. your guys first before you can play them. Well, there's missions with the little guys I already have done that we, uh, but I, I, mm. I don't know if I want to play it. Um. Syphus Kane does have some good critiques about like military bureaucracy. Mm, um, better not say them out loud, or the Inquisition's going to come on down. It happens in every branch of the Imperial service. Able and ambitious individuals getting sidelined by the nervous incompetence above them, or just backing the wrong side in the endless round of internal politics and getting their careers derailed as a result. Whereas I, who would have liked nothing more than to sit out my years of service as far away from harm's way as possible, kept getting entirely the opposite. That just goes to prove what I've always suspected. The emperor had a nasty sense of humor. So it's this, like, famous war hero who has no interest in being a war hero is basically the whole Mm. thing. Um, Should run him for governor. There's kind of a a quick and dirty plot summary here. There's an unimaginably ancient artifact somewhere on the planet in the hands of a renegade. The hive fleet is poised above our heads, ready to rip this world apart. Hidden gene stealer broods are everywhere, making an early start on their behalf. And now a bloody chaos cult crawling out of the woodwork just in case we were getting bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's our quick and dirty plot summary. That's, that's that what fun little bibliophile B-roll there. Yeah, there you go. B-movie. Um, some more good just like... Some, like, genuinely funny lines. I prefer my associates unperforated. They're more useful that way, um, his sort of counterpart says. Um, And then there's also some pretty good, uh, like, examples of um, propaganda, like wartime propaganda, um, that, like, wind up being pretty funny. Uh, So the first is part of a, uh, like, it's in the Pereiramunda today, the news that matters to your planet. Though one of the dreaded hive fleets is reported to be on its way to Pereiramunda, all true human citizens may take heart from the knowledge that so is a task force drawn from the very cream of the Imperial Navy and the redoubtable warriors of the Imperial Guard, which between them is more than powerful enough to obliterate the cancer of the Xenos presence from our blessed corner of the galaxy. Moreover, we still have the unceasing vigilance of Commissar Kane and his valiant comrades-in-arms to protect all true followers of the Emperor. Um... And then the next one is a little leaflet that gets passed around. Is your neighbor a gene stealer? 20 <laughs> ways to tell. Um, and then there's also a transcript of an address by the governor um, of Pereira Munda. And so he's like insisting that everything is all under control. You can all rest assured. 
Um, everything is fine. If the enemy was already here in force, I'm sure I'd know all about it. My staff is pretty good at keeping on top of the important stuff. And the transcript ends with, how was that? Was that gubernatorial enough or should we go again? What do you mean it was live? Um, and so just like, there's some funny things in there that, I, I, again, what I'm trying to get at is this idea of like, the author also takes it's, it as yes. pretty tongue in cheek. It is, yeah. Nobody, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is it sexless? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he is into uh, his sort of counterpart in this adventure. Her name is Amberly, but there's no, like, he's just, like, into her. Mm-hmm. That's, like, that's it. even That's even less sexless than I was uh, thinking it would be. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, like, absolutely nothing happens. There's no oh, relationship. Yeah. There's I just, mean, like, I mean, two... not even that there are no sex scenes. I mean, it, it just seems like yeah. nobody has any uh, romantic yeah. inclinations at all. For sure. Um, one of, I would say, like, one of my favorite parts is, like, in this sort of tongue-in-cheek critique of, like, military culture, there's a character named Sola, um, who is a, <laughs> a general... Um, Look out, Emperor. Described as always happy to have something to shoot at. Uh, and Kane very clearly hates her and thinks that she's ridiculous. Um, but there a couple of the interstitials are from her memoirs. Like, after all of this happened, it's from her memoirs. Mm-hmm. And she, like, talks about him as her most valued mentor and, like, how important he was to her life and her career. And, like, he very clearly, yeah. like, in all of his stuff, hates her guts. So there's um, a commentary on memoirs just as much as anything else. For sure. And also a commentary on people who take the military way too seriously. Um, so, like, that part is just kind of funny. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm not even going to read that excerpt. Um, so yeah, it, like, I don't know Warhammer, and I don't know the lore, and I got dropped into this, and the lore's pretty deep, huh? So, that was kind of a lot for Mm. me, but, like, if you just, again, like, sort of disconnect your brain from that, and just kind of let it wash over you... As far as, like, a military book goes, it's very self-aware. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't bad. Nice. Yeah. And I would like to... How many pages was it? Uh, 415. I picked it because it was the shortest one. Yeah. There's some deep lore here, and I can tell that the people who are into it are into it. <laughs> yeah. But also, um, I feel like it's a, a pretty common refrain in both of our families that Mick likes rules. Um, and Mick is good at rules. It's like, I don't make that face at me. Like, it's a good thing. I feel like it is the thing that everyone appreciates about you. Like, whenever we learn a new game, everyone's like, hey, Mick, here's the box. Come at me in half an hour and teach me how to play this game. Um, and I'd say, why did you talk to me like that? <laughs> uh, one time we were watching, remember the, a couple of years ago at the Winter Olympics when the United States curling team yeah. won gold? Uh, we were watching curling, and my brother turned to me and said, how does this work? And I said, I don't know. And he said, like how's it work i said okay i think this is how it works yeah mick you're good at rules what's happening right now um and so i feel like this is the kind of thing that like your brain just sort of sponge like absorbs the lore of stuff like this oh don't you start people come calling people throw it throw it down and then i'll have to read the cimmerillion and all this sort of (laughs) stuff i don't know anything about the horus heresy i cannot keep any of these these primarks names like Man, there's a lot. Time. I did legitimately think about getting you the Silmarillion as one of our one of my picks I for also more. Thought about the Silmarillion. Wait, wait. The Silmarillion. 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 Jesus. 
I feel like that wouldn't be a terrible book exchange pick for me because I've actually read parts of it for fun. I've read the trilogy and The <sighs> Hobbit multiple times. It's great. But I have thought about getting yeah, it. Yeah, but you're you gonna talk to me about it. you're gonna talk to me about overwrought and too much lore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we do have our next books. I uh, can't but, tell you the exact titles because they're upstairs, fine. but I can tell you the the general vibe. Yes, so I now had to get Sue a self help book. Uh, I got her a somewhat like illustrated textbook about dreams, uh, how to control them and how to interpret them and how to uh, attach them to make your life more meaningful or something like that. Yeah, it's over for you, bitches. Once I figure out how to analyze my dreams if dreams are meaningful you better watch what you dream as ben folds would say Mm -hmm. um i got you a doctor who novel a doctor who novel (laughs) i did not even read the back of it um because it had terrible cg yeah Uh, um Um, i also i tried it like i was probably a freshman or sophomore in college um Doctor Who was really having a moment with several people. Yeah, yeah, on Tumblr and with several people in my sort of friend orbit. And so I tried. I tried watching. I tried a couple of different seasons wondering if, like, maybe it was just the really early episodes weren't working for me. I just could not get into it I just don't think you like fiction TV shows. I don't think I like TV Eh. is actually the thing. Um, I like the Great British Baking Show. And I don't. Other than that, it's I don't like really like TV. It's like the Doctor Who of reality TV. Because it's, it's British. It's British and it's uh, pacifist. So yeah, there's that. that's true. And um, there's cake. Yeah. Uh, and if they don't cook it enough, it's wibbly wobbly. Just like the that's a um, great Doctor Who joke. Just like whatever the little spaceship thing is, uh, the tent is also bigger on the inside. Mm. More like tart this. Um, but the general vibe of that book that I got is something about they live inside us and feed off our bad emotions. Mm. I don't know what is going on, but I'm, uh, I am directed towards the night clock. Oh yeah. Um, was that the book where there's like the, like 80 people kill Lords, themselves? Whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 It was a fun read. Maybe those people <clears throat> should have learned how to mind hack. Maybe they should have mind hacked the night clock away. That's what I'm always saying. That's what I'm always saying. Get that but printed on a t-shirt when you think that, about uh, it. Chubby Checker wasn't follow up wasn't quite as good as the twist. Mind hack that night. Mind hack that night clock. Ooh, that is unpleasant to say. <laughs> that mouthfeel of that sentence is not good. Well, we are happy to be back whenever this is being released. I hope this doesn't sound terrible. We, for the first time, decided to try recording with two microphones. Two microphones. Two microphones. Two mics. Two mics. Uh, and the baby stayed asleep the whole time, so that's Knock good. On He's gonna wake up immediately as soon as we hit the off button so just which leave we're it doing on all night right now we love you everybody good night oh, i was supposed to stop